Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Do not go gentle into that good night. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And this is Black True Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, friend, welcome and hello. What's poppin' slime? Oh my God, we love you so much already. Well, we are happy to be back this week. This case is probably going to be a longer one just because there was so much involved in it. And I had this recommended to me a couple of times, actually, once for the Richmond show, but there's just too much going on. So I had to save it for its own special thing. So sister, are you ready? Let's get into it. Okay. This week's case involves two people that had such a toxic bond that it shook an entire city to its core. They broke into people's homes and brutally tortured them until their lives ended. And by the end of this case, you may be asking yourself, would one have still done it without the other? So join us as we discuss the Richmond Spree Killers, Ray Dandridge and Ricky Gray. And thank you to listener Justina McBee and then listener from Instagram at chapter you underscore for recommending this case. So Ricky Javon Gray was born on Wednesday, March 27th, 1977, and Ray Joseph Dandridge Dandridge was born on Monday, 24th, 1977. Kristen, what do you have for us this week in regards to black history? So Kayla fed me a BHS segment this time. I just gave not even knowing that it was I didn't even know that it was kind of linked to this case in the way of a name. Mm -hmm. So Ray Mend Ray Emmett. Dandridge mm. was known to be the best offensive third baseman in the history of the Negro Leagues, if not the entire history of baseball. Okay. Wow. He was also one of the sport's greatest hitters for average. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Ray was born on August 31st, 1913. Period. I'm an August <laughs> baby too, Ray, in Richmond, Virginia. And he grew up with his two parents. So he did have both of his parents in the house, Archie and Alberta. Also, isn't it crazy that this case happens in Richmond and he was born in Richmond? I know. So now Ray grew up playing baseball, football, and he liked to box. Well, he hurt his leg while playing football. So his daddy was like, mm-mm, you quit in that sport. Mm. So he focused more of his... I guess, efforts in baseball. Now, Mm -hmm. this type of guy, Ray was in the backyard practicing with the tree branch for a baseball bat and a golf wrapped up with string and tape. So he was diligent, even though he may not have had everything he needed. Made it do what it do. One special thing about Ray is Ray was bow-legged and (laughs) a pretty short fella, okay? So this developed him nicknames in the league known as Hooks and Squat. Wow. Once Ray was discovered by the Detroit Stars manager, Candy Jim Taylor, in 1933, he went on to play for the Stars and then the Newark Eagles in the Negro League for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Well, the Eagles got beat out because the Mexican League caught on to Ray's amazingness and Jorge Pascal offered Ray $10,000 per season to play in Mexico for him. So wow. what did Ray do? By America, he went to Mexico, took his family, and ended up playing there. I think he said nine seasons. Jeez. I know. He spent a lot of his time there. He even turned down being possibly the first black man in the major league Mm -hmm. because he didn't want to move his family from Mexico. Wow. Yeah. Like, imagine what that meant for him to turn down such a big opportunity. I mean, peace over what? Mayhem. Pay payment profit i don't know you know he patriotism he chose his family he chose his family he chose his peace he chose the people that you know provided for him Mm -hmm. well he eventually did go back to the states because jorge pascal died in a plane crash rest in peace jorge and ray spent the last years of his career batting a 0.362 which look it up it's a big deal okay and leading all american association third basements in 1949 so basically he became when he came back uh-huh. he made a statement for himself as uh-huh. one of the best third basements in the country 
Wow. Ray retired in 1955 and worked as a scout for the San San Francisco Giants. So, Ray, we salute you, man. Like, you did your doggone thing. You were focused. If you look at the pictures of him, he only smiles in, like, two of them. (laughs) He's serious. He was known for studying um, his idols in baseball. Mm -hmm. And clearly it paid off. So, shout out to Ray Dandridge, not the killer. No, not the killer. Shout out to you, baseball Ray. And is he still alive? No, he passed away in 1994. Oh, okay. Shout out to you, Ray. Shout out to you, Ray. All right, back to the case. So the two boys, Ricky and Ray, were who were actually uncle and nephew. So Ricky, the oldest, was the uncle. It's kind of like how Quavo and Takeoff are related. Mm, okay. Rest in peace to Takeoff. But Quavo's older than Takeoff, so it's just reversed. Either mm-hmm. way, the two boys essentially grew up together. So let's talk about what type of upbringing they had. Well, starting with Ricky, according to his mother, Barbara Moten, Ricky had an extremely difficult childhood. So if you're on Patreon... You see both of them. Mm. I kind of thought they were like brothers for a minute. Can we put that back on the screen? Sure. Why? To say what it's giving. (laughs) We're going to have a lot of opportunity to do that. Ray, you're fine. I knew it. Wait, Ray? Yeah, like he's light on the eyes. Are you talking about Ray or Ricky, I see the names. I'm talking about Ray. Like for me, I look at Ray and I'm like, okay, crooked mouth a little bit. But like his eyebrows, wow. His eyes drawing me in and i think he's chocolate and handsome <laughs> ricky gives me a little fruity tootie vibes what i'm gonna hold you oh my god i really thought that was gonna be opposite i don't know anything about your taste and honestly it i don't changes. want to know i don't want to know bitch. it changes as i grow it's fucking scary <laughs> so oh my god ricky has nice eyes too though okay so he went through a really bad childhood um according to his mom as a child ricky was sweet and had a kind heart until something happened to him that would change him forever what happened ricky was a little mischievous at school so he would get in trouble sometimes and when he did his father would spank him with a horse strap so a horse strap is what you use to basically guide a horse around Mm -hmm. um it's kind of thin and it's leather yeah that bitch will probably leave a mark oh for sure yeah welts all day long Mm mm-hmm But these spankings didn't stop there. Barbara said his father, Ellsworth, would whoop him if he wet the bed. Um, Oftentimes, his other siblings would just lie and blame him for things that happened. So he would end up getting spanked for that, too. He was just in a house full of ops, it sounds like. And he was getting picked on. Yeah. He was overly disciplined for things that just... It got to the point of physical abuse, definitely. Because you don't have to whoop him for everything. Come on now. And when Ricky was nine years old, his mother had to relocate because of her job with the army. So he was forced to stay behind with his abusive father. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Who decided to become a cocaine addict while his wife was away? So drugs are involved now. It's just going to be a nightmare. Ricky's going to be the punching bag. Poor Ricky. During this time, one of Ellsworth's sons from a previous relationship named Fitzgerald started to sexually abuse Ricky. No. Yes. One of Ricky's sisters named Ava would later testify that she too was victimized by Fitzgerald as a child and that the abuse Ricky suffered at the hands of him started when Ricky was just four years old. Good Lord, Ricky. Good googly. I feel so bad for him. At that age, who is going to protect you? Right. Your daddy. Nope. Your mama. Nope. nope. She left you. Your siblings. No. And she was, and um, Ava said for the next seven years, the abuse was a regular thing. A quote from a later affidavit described the abuse Ricky went through as, quote, the rapes were so pervasive, so frequent, and over such a long period of time that they can only be described as sexual slavery. Good Lord. Good God, how is your brother, your own brother, whether it's half brother or not, because it was his half brother, how can you even do this to your own blood? I mean, for them, he was probably just thinking, oh, curiosity. But it's like, you idiot. Curiosity. You're do it with someone else. Like, why are you choosing your family members? Why are you choosing a boy? Choose someone that I don't know who can consent to what what the fuck you're doing to them. Like, if you're trying to be sexually curious, do it with someone that's your age that's consenting that's sexually curious as well. Right. And also, I don't know how old Fitzgerald was at this point. I just know he was an older brother. So if he he could have been over 18. I mean, who who knows at this point? It's just horrible and it should have never fucking happened to Ricky. Ever. 
and to cope with the daily nightmare he was living, 13-year-old Ricky looked to drugs to get through it. Namely, weed, cocaine, and PCP. Not PCP, Ricky. Motherfucker was smoking wet blunts. How you get that? Shit. He was in, where was he at this point? I don't even remember where he was at. He was in Virginia, I believe. Uh But bitch, older siblings, you know, in a bad area, you're going to find it. A wet blunt. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can say that I blame him for even trying to find drugs because Ricky would later go on to describe his abuse in detail, claiming that at just nine years old, his mother had enrolled him in a U.S. Naval cadet program. And one day while he was getting ready for a program trip, Fitzgerald violated him so viciously in the basement of the family home that Ricky bled on his cadet uniform. Nine years old. Oh, my heart. I feel like a pressure in the back of my head. I'm not even fucking kidding. I want to pass out. Yeah, this isn't terrible. I'm so sorry, Ricky. And it gets worse. He described how certain smells and sounds triggered memories from the sexual violence he experienced as a kid. Even seeing striped socks would freak him out because his brother would sometimes use them to, like, stuff in his mouth and muffle his screams. Kayla, this is... Did Ricky kill Fitzgerald? Ah, bitch, we can only wish because no he didn't he deserved it very much so like what the fuck happened to Fitzgerald as a child that made him think oh yeah let me go do these horrific things to someone else and you know what Fitz you don't get no passes from me no sexual curiosity nothing you're causing this boy physical pain and yeah. you can and you see it yeah and you're still choosing to do He's, it your brother's screaming and you just put a sock in his mouth to be quiet Are while you you're raping him oh my god don't let me catch this okay. yeah this is trauma i right. told you this is this case is pretty bad and like right out the gate we have a, a crazy amount of empathy for ricky yeah because i don't know i couldn't survive something like this at such a young age no this is this is tainting my spirit as we speak about it mm-hmm And he wasn't only abused by his older brother. Oh, no. With his father's consent, grown women were raping Ricky at Ellsworth's brothel. So Ellsworth had a brothel and he would let his or his son, you know, be violated by the women that would come there. And it started as early as eight years old. Okay. So Ellsworth jailed in hell. Fitzgerald jailed in hell. And the mother, bitch, I got your number too. Where were you? Right. And Ray, Ricky's older nephew, would visit the home a lot. And I'm sure he witnessed some of this sick abuse Ricky was going through and may have even experienced some himself. But unfortunately, Ray wasn't as eager to publicly share his childhood memories Mm. and, you know, his traumas. But what we do know is that according to Ronald Wilson, who was Ray's father, he said, quote, from back when they were kids, I always felt any time they got together, they would get in trouble. I'm not pointing any fingers. It seemed they influenced each other. They raised hell together. Yeah, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two damaged kids or someone who's being damaged with another one. Like, what else are they going to do? Sit around and pay, play patty cake? Exactly. They're probably going to go out in these streets and mm-hmm. do what it do. Me and my ex-best friend, Christina, we used oh, to be God. like, oh, we want money for weed. Didn't want to ask our parents. So we would just go to Target and steal a bunch of shit. And then go right across the street to Plato's Closet and sell all that stuff and use it for our weekend money. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrible. But at least we weren't physically hurting people to do so. That We're going to get to it. When the boys weren't getting in trouble, they loved playing chess. Oh. Which is, I thought, something really interesting to learn. And I think it could be kind of an indicator of how smart they actually were. Mm-hmm. And, like, how far they could have gone in life if they were protected. If they were protected. And pointed in the right direction as kids. By just one person. Yep. They just needed that one. Both boys dropped out of school during their high school years, with Ray attending Yorktown High School and Ricky going to Lee High School first. Shout out to Lee. We had a lot of friends go to that school. Mm-hmm. And then in 10th grade, he transferred to Massanutan Military Academy, but dropped out before his 11th grade year in Dang 1993. It. Dang it. It's like he's trying and then he's like, mm, don't want to nah. do this anymore. Less than two years later, in October of 1995, Ricky, Ray and two other accomplices were arrested for armed robbery. OK, here we go. Here we go. They would rob Georgetown University students of small dumb shit like sunglasses and backpacks 
they would take some watches and stuff but one time they took like one dollar from one of their victims just stop <laughs> what were you doing building your courage girl i don't know what the fuck they were doing probably looking for something to get some quick weed or you know a quick sack mm-hmm And when it came to committing the crimes, Ray would later claim in a handwritten letter to a judge that, quote, I was more of a follower than a leader. I have low self-esteem and am in dire need of a sense of direction. That's what he said out of his mouth? Yes. Well, even if that's true, it Mm -hmm. sounds like somebody, like, coached him into even writing that. Sounds like he's trying to manipulate me. Yeah. But I can see at the age of, what, they're, like, 18 at this point? No, like, 1920? Mm-hmm. You you can see it. It's like all of these things are true. Yeah, you. This is true. However, you still you put still it on. exactly exactly mm-hmm. sister. Ray would be convicted of robbery and gun possession charges, and he was sentenced to eleven years in prison. Woo! She threw the book at him, and then Ricky was convicted of robbery and was sentenced to four years in prison. Only four? Yeah. I don't know if they were able to get him on the gun charges, but four years in prison and he was the older one which is interesting ricky was the older one yeah i thought you said ricky was the younger one no ricky's older ray's younger okay okay, okay. Mm -hmm. and it baffles me how people that commit actual violence against other people receive even lighter sentences than this like they didn't even harm anyone physically but a rapist can spend what three years in prison two years in okay don't get me fucking started Mm -hmm. anyway Ricky ended up only serving three of the four years he was sentenced to. And while incarcerated, he received his GED. Okay, Ricky. But he was still on bullshit when he got out because shortly after, he would be back in jail on drug charges. Ricky. Ricky, come on. By 2000, Ricky was back in jail and awaiting trial because he'd been charged with abduction. Mitch. Yeah. Of whom? I don't know. There were no details I could find in regards to this and probably because the case ended up getting dismissed. Mm -hmm. Like he was eventually acquitted of the abduction charges, but while in jail, he was strip searched and authorities found cocaine on him. Ricky. He's an, he's an addict. This isn't, this isn't recreational. (laughs) This is a necessity. Yeah. He needs it. And he ended up pleading guilty to the cocaine possession charge and was sentenced to serve 16 months. Okay. But he was also charged with an additional count of possessing crack cocaine with intent to sell. Why was he, did he have that much on him? Oh, maybe he had, maybe he was a plug girl. Who knows? Mm. And he was found guilty for that and sentenced to 10 years. But his sentence was later reduced because of the quote, substantial assistance he provided to the prosecution. Oh, so he was snitching. Snitching, informant, something like that. Hmm. Damn, Ricky, going out safe. You was on these streets. A part of organizations. And he probably snitched on, like, who he was getting the drugs from while inside. Mm. You know? So, yeah. All right, Ricky. Mm. You don't snitch. Mm-hmm. During one of the times that Ricky wasn't in jail, he ended up meeting a woman named Treva or Treva Terrell. Now, Treva wasn't the type of woman that was going to necessarily save Ricky. She had spent some time in jail herself. And while she was in the Alexandria jail in 2002, Treva was sexually assaulted by a sheriff's deputy who was in charge of the work release program she was assigned to. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. She pressed criminal charges against this piece of shit. Good for her. Mm-hmm. And his name is Eric Mayo, by the way. Disgusting. And she even testified against him in court. Period. Treva? I, was, I know. I wasn't able to find out like what happened in that case, how it turned out. But either way, fuck this Eric guy. Like Treva, retrieve ya, honor. <laughs> I know, it was so corny. I just had to say it. It was sitting on the top of my head. I'm going to keep it in, too. <laughs> <laughs> By January 2005, Ricky was out of prison again and moved to Washington, Pennsylvania, where Treva and her family had moved. Okay. And when he got there, he was helped a lot. Treva helped this man enroll into electrician school and got him a job working at the telemarketing company she was working at. Treva, that's what you call a ride or die. I'm about to say, so she is Captain save a I take back what I said. She definitely was saving him. Well, yeah, she was trying. She said she had her own little rap sheet, mm-hmm. so. Also, was Ray in jail this entire time? Yes. <laughs> Dang, Ricky been in and out and in and out. He's serving his full, his full stint. Good Lord. 
By that summer, Treva and Ricky were married, and the couple moved into a house that Treva's mother owned. Okay, Treva. I know. She is selling She came up. from a good a good spot. Yeah, and you're setting it up, and Ricky mm. honestly is blessed to even be with you. At Don't this even point. deserve it. And right. then Ricky's mom ended up moving to town and rented a place from Treva's mom, too. Okay, so Trayvon's mom is the plug. She has property. She has assets. I'm here for it. It's given. And once Ray was finally released from prison after 10 years, he was released October 26, 2005. He moved in with Ricky and Treva. Mm, that's where you went wrong. Because mm-hmm. now they're back together. They were apart. And yeah, Ray, sorry, Ricky was still on bullshit, mm-hmm. but wasn't as bad as it's going to get. So, yeah, like I said, she's saving not only Ray she, or Ricky, she's saving Ray, Ricky's mama. I mean, she's fully got her cape out. And doing way too much. Because as soon as Rick, Ray got mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. no, he can't stay with us. I don't know him. I, he was in jail for 10 years. I Is don't a know him, period. No. And these are people that did not deserve her kindness or saving at all because just 10 days after Ray arrived from prison... Trava's body will be found by Washington police. They killed Trava? Yeah, girl. Who does that? It's, I, I can't even fucking fathom why they did that. And it's so close to home. It's the stupidity. Like, Trava just set you up. You're married to this woman. Mm-hmm. Why would you kill her knowing you're in her mother's property mm-hmm. and your mother is in her mother's property? Mm-hmm. You're doing too much. Just not really thinking at all. I There's no thought was, going into this. And I wonder if it was Ray or Ricky's idea. Great question. We're kind of going to get to it. On Saturday, November 5th, 2005, 35-year-old Trava's body was found brutally beaten in a shallow grave on Brookside Avenue in Washington, Pennsylvania. Although there were clear signs that Trava had been violently attacked, investigators just assumed she died from a drug overdose and... Although they found her death to be a bit suspicious, they never even opened a homicide investigation. So that's wrong. We all know that. Straight up wrong. And in my head, I'm like, what was the coroner's ruling for them to even be able to right. do this? Because usually the coroner will say, okay, this person died like this, and it's a result of homicide or whatever. But if they're clearly saying drug overdose, then that may have been the coroner's they, ruling. So they suggested it, but it she didn't die from a drug overdose. Later we find out she didn't die from it. She was beaten to death with a fucking lead pipe. So she has extensive injuries to her head and you're sitting here saying it's a drug overdose, you lazy piece of shit. So yeah. And then on top of that, I'm like, how did she get in the shallow grave? Did she she push herself in there and cover herself? After she dug it? I'm confused. Wow, this is messed up. Let's be fucking for real. So it's just lazy work, of course. And- Poor Treva. She really was trying to, like, help this man out. I don't care if Treva had the biggest attitude. Right. You're not going to put your hands on Treva, big mama Treva, <laughs> and get away with that. And they did. And I'm pissed mm-hmm. at the coroner. You had every right to be like, no, something's wrong here. And you enabled them. Yep. So rest in peace to Treva. So sorry this happened to you. You didn't deserve it. I don't care what decision you made. You didn't deserve that. Yeah. A week after Trava's body was found, her family evicted Ray, told his ass he couldn't stay with them anymore, period. So he went to West Philly and stayed with his dad. Ricky then moved out a couple weeks later and relocated to Arlington, Virginia to stay with his grandma on his mom's side. So they're probably thinking, okay, we got split up. It's too much, too hot out here. That's a possibility, sister. But I think at that time, they just need to figure out what their next move was going to be. Mm-hmm. When Ray moved to West Philly, his father tried to help him by getting him into house flipping. So they would buy fixer-uppers, renovate them, and then resell them. Which is a really great way to make money. I'm like, these people know how to make some money legally. Yeah, especially straight out of prison. Like, you're just going in, working with your dad. It's the perfect setup. Yeah, because usually people out of prison have hard times finding jobs. Exactly. You have one right here. Exactly. But it just didn't seem like it was the life that Ray wanted. And he and his uncle Ricky were extremely close, so he ended up going right back to where Ricky was. Of course. This is what they've been doing. This is the habit. This is the trend they've been doing since they were young. Mm-hmm. A toxic trend. Toxic. And it's only toxic to the people probably on the outside because of what they're doing together. Right. While they're in it, they're like, oh, this is amazing, and we're BFFs, but they're wreaking havoc on like people's lives and it sucks because at one point they needed this mm-hmm. to get away from the stuff they were going through 
But now that safe haven has turned into sadistic behavior for everyone else on the outside. Absolutely. So by the time Christmas rolled around, this is only like two months after Ray is released from prison. Ray had left Philly and was in Virginia with Ricky, his BFF. And this is when the real carnage would ensue. Mm -mm. So do whatever you need to do to prepare for this horribleness because we're going to get into some details that really turn my stomach. Oh, Lord. So there's a neighborhood called Woodland Heights in Richmond, Virginia, that in 2005 was a housewife's dream. It was a suburban area that was considered safe to raise a family in. And although it could be found in the middle of a very dangerous city, residents of Woodland Heights felt so sure about their safety they didn't even lock their doors. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And their houses were beautiful, I might add. They were like old style brick types of houses so i mean anybody driving through is like oh they got money Mm -hmm. but that sense of security would be forever changed when on new year's day neighbors noticed thick smoke coming from a red brick two-story home in the area and called 911 once the fire was put out authorities would find the bodies of 49 year old brian harvey 39 year old Catherine harvey and their two daughters nine-year-old stella and four-year-old ruby a whole family whole family all four of them had been tied up and beaten before having their throats cut. And we're going to talk more about what they went through in a second. First, I just want to talk about them. Rest in peace to the victims. This is just fucking tragic and senseless. The Harvey couple was really well known in the Richmond area. Brian was a part of an 80s band called The Dads. Mm. And he was a part of another band called House of Freaks, where he was a singer and guitarist. And they actually were pretty successful. They okay. had like a little cult following. Okay. But Brian left that part of his life behind to pursue his passion of creating music instead of dealing with the politics of it all. And at the time of his death, he was a computer technician for the Enrico County School System and was still in a band. It's called Energy Crisis. Period. They spelled it ridiculously but hey you know have fun i want to listen yeah you could take a listen it's a, probably like rock music mm-hmm. it's not really rsds but i hey. like a little soft classical rock worth a try Catherine, on the other hand ran a gift store called world of mirth and she also was like you know the high school homecoming queen the whole nine so she was a looker to people back then mm-hmm. i think she's cute They were described as fun-loving people who always had strings of lights up, no matter the time of year, Christmas or not. And a neighbor said, quote, they just had a playful attitude toward life. Okay. End quote. So really lighthearted people. Yeah, fun people. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the last moments of our life. Look at their baby. I know. Brian had been slashed eight times in his neck and underneath his chin. He had six lacerations to the left side and back of his skull, and these were caused by being hit in the head with a hammer. Jeez. He had third-degree burns because of the fire, but ultimately, he died from the blows to his head. Golly. Catherine had been cut three times in her neck and chest and once in her back, but her wounds weren't fatal. She was beaten in the head with a hammer multiple times, causing a fracture to her eye socket. Oh, oh my God. And she ultimately died from the head wounds as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this part, no. Stella's neck had wait, been wait. cut. Brace yourselves, you guys. Stella's neck had been cut six times and was also hit with the hammer, but she was still alive and died from a combination of smoke inhalation, carbon monoxide poisoning, and the head wounds. Poor baby. So she was still alive after they had already set the house on fire. So she's literally being burned slash suffocated alive. Alive, absolutely. And then little Ruby had her throat cut and suffered head trauma from the hammers. Who hammers a four-year-old in the head? Idiots. A devil. Yeah, demons. Yeah, demons. And she was hit so hard that some of her actual brain matter was sticking out invisible good god kayla i'm sorry it was in the court docs i included it it's horrible but it just shows you how depraved and how vicious these men are why Mm -hmm. oh and she was also stabbed why would they stab the baby i don't know i guess it was taking her too long to die she ultimately ended up dying from the head wounds and the stab wounds that punctured her lung just egregious 
This is too much. Richmond attorney learned Barry and learned is his first name said, quote, any killing is bad, but that's evil. That's torture. Straight evil. Straight like it's you can't describe how disgusting and grotesque these type of murders are. Yeah. It's a baby. Yeah. It's hard to even imagine someone fixing their fucking hands to do to do this to a child. And for what? What did they do to you? Exactly. And the medical examiner said after doing the autopsies that, quote, never in my career had I ever faced anything like this. Like there were people that were crying. Homicide detectives were on scene bawling their eyes out because of what they just witnessed. So, I mean, (laughs) trauma. I'm glad there's no pictures. Thank God there's no pictures. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Today's episode is probably a really great example of a case that you could go and talk to a therapist about. I know there are some people that are still skeptical about therapy and if it can even help with certain issues. But the thing is, therapy helps everything. If you're not comfortable addressing your childhood trauma right now, that's totally fine. You can go to your therapist and talk to them about the case you heard today and how it triggered you or how horrible it was. There's so many benefits to therapy. And BetterHelp makes accessing a licensed therapist convenient, flexible, and also kind of enjoyable. I talked to Kristen about the session that she had with her new therapist this week, and she was like, can this therapist be my friend? Is that (laughs) against their code? But that's kind of how you want it to feel. You want to feel comfortable enough with your therapist that you can talk with them about anything that you're comfortable with. And if you're interested in finding a therapist to add to your life, I highly suggest that you try out BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Black True Crime today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Black True Crime for 10% off your first month. Okay, protect your peace and your space and your mental health. Now back to the episode. Investigators had trouble finding any forensic evidence after the house was hosed down, but they were able to find two hammers near the bodies and notice that Catherine's wedding ring was missing. Okay. So they got something. Yeah. There were also no signs of a break-in, which makes sense, especially if people just left their doors Mm -hmm. unlocked and stuff. When speaking with witnesses, the police learned that one of Catherine's daughters had a scheduled play date that evening. And when the girl and her mother showed up at the Harvey home, Catherine answered the door and told them to leave. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So the the men were there. They were already there. And the mom said she remembered Catherine seeming jittery and uneasy, but didn't think too much into it. People, why don't you think more into it? But no one in their right mind is going to be like, oh, they're probably being held hostage. Let me call the police. Like, you just never think something like that would happen, let alone in Woodland Heights. Girl, I wish we had them hand signals by then like we do now. Or she could have just shown her her hand. Like like, Morse code, blinking. Yeah, something. For sure. So rest in peace to the Harveys. Rest in peace, y'all. Oh, my stomach is in my asshole. Why would Ray and Ricky do this? Like, how do you escalate? Well, the first murder, Treva, mm-hmm. you know, is one way to escalate. But now you're escalating to a whole family, including children. Right. Where did that come from? And it doesn't even seem like they got a bunch of things that were worth money. Because if that was your initial goal mm-hmm. to go in there, rob, get as much as you can, y'all fucking shit the bed. Right. Because you only, what from what they seen, you only took a ring. That's, Yeah. I think they took a couple of other things, but nothing that was like substantially at least worth killing four people. So the initial MO could have been less raw, but once they got mm-hmm. up in there and got those hammers in their hands, mm-hmm. it quickly turned yep. to murder. Yep. Because that's has to be how they wanted it to turn out, especially with this overkill. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Two days after the Harvey murders, a man named Roy Mason was at home watching TV with his disabled wife when two Men came to the door asking for directions, but then they forced their way into the home, pushing 70-year-old Roy down on the couch. The intruders took a DVD player, a TV, a computer, and $800. So this time they were like, okay, let's get our get. Mm -hmm. And they remained in the house for over 30 minutes and threatened to kill the couple multiple times, but somehow Roy was able to talk them out of it. Okay, Roy. Right. So according to his nephew, Roger Tony, quote, he begged and pleaded with them that his wife was sick. And if anything happened to her, he wouldn't be able to get to her. End quote. 
So his wife, um, I think she had multiple sclerosis. She was confined to a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know if she was involved in what happened here. She may have been in another room. Right. But somehow this worked and the men left the home. And Roy remembered how mannerable they were the whole time. Like they were saying yes, sir, and no, sir to him. So that stuck out to him. What the heck, Kayla? I know. Isn't it so crazy how part of you can have all your wit and respect and the other part of you is like, I'm going to respect you while I'm killing you. Like how much of a mind F is that for the victim or the soon to be victim? It's psychological torture, in my opinion. Oh, my God. Too much. All right. Here we go into some more horribleness. Just three days later on January 6th and not too far from the Harvey home, police officers would find three more dead bodies. A woman named Latoya Polly contacted police to report that she feared for her friend Ashley's life and wanted a welfare check conducted at Ashley's home. When investigators arrived, they found 55-year-old Percy L. Tucker, 47-year-old Mary Baskerville Tucker, and her 21-year-old daughter, Ashley Baskerville. Oh, no. They had been tied up with duct tape and cords before being murdered, just like the Harveys. Percy Yell had a sock stuffed down his throat before his head was wrapped in plastic and saran wrap, and he struggled for several minutes before dying of suffocation. Mary had been gagged and had duct tape placed over her eyes, and she was stabbed in her neck and chest and was also suffocated by the plastic wrapped around her head. And then Ashley had a plastic bag taped around her head, like around her neck, you know, to make sure no air can get out. Mm -hmm. And then she had a sock stuffed in her mouth as well. And she died of suffocation after several minutes. Oh, so that that stuffing the sock in the mouth thing clearly comes from Ricky's experience with Fitzgerald. Wow. So right now we're kind of seeing how he wants other people to suffer as much as he suffered. suffered. Yeah. Considered that he suffered. Yeah. This is just fucking crazy and so brutal. So rest in peace to the victims. Rest in um, peace. Mary worked at a dry cleaners at the time of her death, and Percy Yell was a forklift driver. I read that they were both really involved in the church and were described as hardworking, nice, church-going people. Rest in peace to the family. Rest in peace. And then Ashley, on the other hand, was used to being in trouble. She mm-hmm. was in and out of juvie since the age of 12 and had returned to the South Richmond area to live with her mother and stepdad. And when she came back, like she went to church with her mom all the time and even attended a prison ministry group for young people. Okay, she was trying to reform herself. Seems like it, or at least doing what she could to appease her mother. (laughs) At this point, investigators are looking like, what the fuck is going on? They had two murder scenes within five days of each other with both including unfathomable torture in completely different neighborhoods with victims that had no connection to each other. Right. So out of the gate... They're stopped. They're like, what? Who? Who's doing this? How are they doing it? Right. There's no hammers on the second scene. Exactly. You know? Do they have a serial killer on their hands? Because at first they thought the Harvey murders were so vicious that it had to be someone that knew them and it was an intimate thing. But clearly we know that they're wrong. So they were stumped until they noticed that Ashley Baskerville, one of the victims, was wearing a ring. Uh-oh a unique wedding ring that they would soon learn belonged to Catherine Harvey. Uh Uh-uh. So now they're like, well, shit, these two cases have to be connected. Why would they put Catherine's ring on Ashley? They didn't. Oh. We're going to get to it. Investigators interviewed LaToya later that same day, the one that called in worried about Ashley, Mm -hmm. and she said she and Ashley had met while they were in jail together and remained pretty good friends once they got out. So investigators wanted to know why she was concerned about Ashley and what led to her calling about a welfare check. Yeah. And she spilled the tea. She said earlier that day on the 6th, LaToya, Ashley, Ray, and Ricky were all hanging out and trying to figure out a way to make some fast money. So Ashley's back to her shenanigans. On her bullshit with these killers. Disgusting men. Yes. LaToya claimed that Ashley suggested that they should fake a kidnapping. So it was Ashley's idea to go to her mother and stepdad's house and they would like, you know, 
tie Ashley up and demand a ransom. And she said they would easily pay. So it's something that they could make money from, you know, like that. Latoya wasn't with that shit. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm not going to jail. Right. Just got out of jail. Right. One and no parts. But the other three were down and left to head to the Tucker home. So Latoya said that when Ricky and Ray came back hours later, she asked them where Ashley was. And their response was, she went bye-bye. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're probably fucking kikiing while they said this, too. They were, Kayla. Oh, my God. They were. And why, you may ask? Like, why did she go bye-bye? Because she was asking for too big of a cut of the money they'd get from her parents. You're an idiot. Her parents. Okay. There's a lot of emotions that are going through me right now. One, Ashley, you led your people to slaughter. Yeah. Because you wanted some money from your parents. Mm -hmm. Like you were willing to leave these two men you don't know into your parents' home. How disrespectful. And you want to know something even fucking worse? And I'm just going to spoil it right now. She was the getaway driver for the Harvey murders. (gasps) So she already knows that these men are capable of killing not just people they don't know, but children. And she still took them to her damn parents' house. Oh, this is the definition of... Fuck you around and find out. For. Right. Like, you think people won't treat you the way that they that treat you- other people? You got it twisted. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh my God. You're looking killers in the eyes and you take them to your home. Like, at, even where your the, mother is. Even at the smallest, like, thought process, my parents could potentially die. Yeah. If they don't pay this money, they could potentially die. Yeah. Even if she didn't include herself. So that means you were willing to allow your parents to die? Mm hmm. She was willing to risk their lives for some money and some nickels. And ended up losing her own. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Karma bit her ass quick. But it sucks because her parents had nothing to do with that. Right. Innocent people. Other than being her parents. So y'all can't say shit about us talking bad, quote unquote, about the victim. This victim was also a perpetrator. So yeah, we got to have two different conversations. Imagine that. So they put Catherine's ring. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, they didn't put it. She, she took, it. took it. Yeah. And was wearing it. So basically, investigators have hit the lotto. <laughs> they have the names of two suspects plus a witness that was present for the planning of the kidnapping. And Latoya wasn't done helping yet. She agreed to call Ray while police recorded it to try and get him to slip up and admit something incriminating. Mm. On the call, she asked about what happened to Ashley and Ray basically played coy and said, just don't worry. We don't have to worry about her anymore. Leave it worth it. So the call didn't yield too much info, but detectives did learn that Ray and Ricky stole Ashley's car and drove it all the way back to Philly where it was found at Ray's dad's house. Mm. Just dummies, idiots, nincompoops. Like, at the end of the day, better for us. Terrible. The very next day after the murders on January 7th, so they're moving fast as a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. A SWAT team showed up at the Philadelphia home and arrested Ray and Ricky. Woo! The Lord is good. Woo! So Ray willingly gave himself up. And then Ricky <laughs> was found hiding behind a water heater. He wasn't going down without a fight. Ricky said, I'm not going back to jail. No, he's not. And he's the one that didn't even spend 10 full years there. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. I really think people also that harbor murderers should get in a lot more trouble than they fucking do. Like his dad should have been arrested because y'all know what's good. Well, I mean, but whatever. (sighs) The local media had a field day with these cases and went as far as to dig up Ray's old prison pen pal profiles from when he was in jail. Mm -hmm. And this one was released in like May of 2005. So shortly before he got out and he described himself as a poet who liked to dance, read, and play chess. Oh, and kill people. Oh, yeah. Forgot, forgot that, Ray. Forgot to add that. He said, well, this is before he was a murderer. To oh, be okay, fair. okay, 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 okay. He said he was looking for a soulmate who wanted a, quote, real man. And he said, quote, I'm an open-minded and very romantic and understanding person. I believe in treating others as I want to be treated and respected in life fucking comedy jokes it's like people can just lie so easily yes about everything and anything 
Like you're about to murder children. Don't know if you knew it before when you like when you were writing this, but that's who you are. That's you're capable you are. of that. You should have been honest, but who bitch, I probably wasn't even honest on my <laughs> dating profile. That's like how me and Terrell got together. Right, nobody's gonna put their worst traits on a dating profile. <laughs> exactly. I think I was I put I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Something ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Shout out to Terrell for seeing through that. <laughs> So after the arrest, they were taken back to a Philadelphia police department where Ray Dandridge would provide a full confession to the Tucker murders. Ray, why? Little girl, what the, what the fuck was Ray going to do? What was he going to lie about? I mean, homegirl Latoya already basically told them what was tea, you know? Hmm. So I don't know how he could have really talked himself out of this one. And maybe like after spending 11 years... He probably knew after he committed his first murder that he was going back. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in denial about that, maybe. Mm, maybe. And maybe. Maybe. Who knows, bitch? Who, who knows? knows? Either way. Who is that? Bitch, it's Ray. <laughs> Yo, that's what I was like. Are we talking about the same person? That's not the Ray you showed the mother dog on pictures, and you know it. <laughs> that's the same Ray. Godly. Good Lord. Anyway. Look at what death will do to you. <laughs> can't walk away from a murder unscathed mm-hmm. it will take a toll on how you look absolutely as it should yeah so he would later confess to the harvey murders as well but not before striking a deal for a lesser sentence of course mm. once ricky learned of ray's betrayal because you know they were in it together he knew he was screwed so he was like fuck it and provided his account of what happened at the harvey home on new year's day and this is what he had to say uh-oh He said they needed money that day and decided they would break into some houses to get it. They noticed that the Harvey's family front door was unlocked and chose their home to rob. Never leave your front door unlocked. I don't care where you're at. Ever. It is an open invitation. Mm -hmm. He said they subdued the Harvey family by tying them up. And when the playdate arrived, Ricky said they told Catherine to make whoever it was go away or they would kill her family. So she was super brave, kept her composure for the most part, and got rid of them, not even knowing that these pieces of shit were going to keep their word. Right. Ugh. And she still ended up losing her life. The fear, that's the thing that sticks with me, is the fear that they probably went through. I just I just am so angry. Like, the fact that another person thinks that they can take my life and my child's. Right. I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Which is understandable. But these idiots didn't think about the fact that the family had seen their faces. So now they had no choice but to get rid of them. After the murders, they quickly took a few items and then ran out to the car where Ashley was waiting for them. He admitted to cutting Catherine and the girl's throats. And when it came to Brian, he said, quote, I think Ray did cut him, but I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter if Ray did or not, because Brian was still alive after until I hit him with the hammer. Mm. Yeah. Another quote from his confession says, it was a real nasty scene. How am I supposed to explain something like that? I started cutting their throats and they kept getting up and they were scaring me. Oh, so they were scaring you? Because they didn't die because the way they you wanted them to die? Dying quickly? Ugh. I started cutting their throats and they kept getting up and they were scaring me. I remember seeing the hammer and picking it up and then I was just hitting them all with the hammer. All I know is nobody was moving when I left out there. Why did you hit the children? Even if the children saw your faces, do you really think they could have provided a, a sketch of you? Didn't they didn't want to care. They didn't want to take that chance, sister. But you're in their home. Sons of sons of bitches. <sighs> and part of me felt like maybe they did what they did to the children because, you know, Ricky lost his innocence at age four, right? From what we know, he started being abused. So maybe he was like, well, their innocence disgusts me. Let me destroy it. Yeah. Could be a part of it. Yeah. A piece of him could have felt that way. Like they didn't see them as just kids. Right. And I'm just, the only saving grace is that they weren't tortured plus raped, you know, sexually violated. That's the only saving grace in this. (sighs) Okay. And out of his own mouth, Ricky admitted that Ray spent most of his time looking for valuables rather than attacking the Harveys. So Ricky seems like he was the one that was really strong arming all of this murder shit. Yeah. And was kind of like honest about it. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Hey, friend. 
have a quick question for you. Have you bought your sunglasses for the summer yet? I know this weekend is Memorial Day and a lot of y'all are probably going to be on the beach looking good in the sun and you need a good pair of sunglasses to protect your eyes, okay? This weekend I'm going to be out and about with my man and I'm going to be wearing my Gooder sunglasses. If you haven't heard about Gooder yet, Gooder provides $25 active sunglasses that don't slip they don't bounce and are 100% polarized. So if you don't know what polarized sunglasses are, they basically only let the perfect amount of sun in to where you stay comfortable and it's not too dark for you to see. These sunglasses have a one-year warranty. There's a 30-day free return policy. And if you care about your carbon footprint, Gooder is a 100% carbon neutral company. There's so many good reasons to get you a pair of Gooder sunglasses, but the main one being is the sunglasses are cute as hell and they're quality, okay? You're not wasting your money on a pair of sunglasses that are gonna fall off in the ocean when you're out there. I was wearing my sunglasses the other day and I literally hit a cartwheel because I wanted to see if I could do one if I were pregnant and I killed it and my glasses didn't move an inch. So <laughs> I highly recommend that you guys try out their sunglasses. And if you want to support the show, Gooder is giving Black True Crime listeners free shipping on your first order. So I'm going to include the link in the episode description below and you can go to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Black True Crime and use code Black True Crime to get free shipping. Again, gooder.com slash crime and use code crime to get free shipping. And hurry up because summer is right around the corner, y'all. Okay? Okay. Now back to the episode. And it's not like the prosecution needed any more evidence, but hey, more couldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. So remember Roy Mason, the old man that was burgled and robbed? Mm -hmm. That happened around January 2nd or 3rd. Well, it wouldn't be until a week later that Roy would see his intruder's faces on the news, and that's when he realized exactly how much danger he and his wife were in that day. Wow. Because remember, they could have just killed him like they did other people. And then he also recognized Ashley. So Ashley was pictured as a victim on the news, but he said Ashley was there. Wow. And Roy said she even took a video game, like herself. So... So Ashley, Ashley, you were a part of it, and then um, they ended up killing you. Mm -hmm. Mm. You can't trust up. You can't trust up. You can't trust up. Like it was Ray and Rick to the day they died. Mm, That was it. (laughs) So it turns out Ray and Ricky were actually living in a townhouse with a woman that was right behind Roy's home. Okay. And the woman was the mother of Latasha. Oh. So it all circles back. Latoya. <laughs> Latoya. Okay. It's all coming together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Investigators are connecting the dots. I wonder why they didn't kill Latoya. Because she what? knew their faces. She knew what they was doing. I agree with that. But maybe they just didn't have the opportunity. Because mm-hmm. once she found out about Ashley, I'm sure she didn't bring her ass back around them. Investigators will also learn that on December 31st, 2005 so the night before the harveys were murdered 26 year old ryan carey was attacked in front of his parents arlington home okay and we know this is where ricky and ray were at because they were staying with ray's grandmother Mm -hmm. he was viciously beaten and stabbed he had wounds to his chest his neck and arms and would end up spending two weeks in a coma good lord yes he fortunately survived but unfortunately lost the use of his right arm completely. They attacked him so violently that the two knives they used broke off in his body. Jeez. So these men are straight from hell. And this is before they have their official kill, like after Treva. Treva. And they had just took Treva's life like a month and a half earlier. Sick. So now we're going to trial. Of course we are. Let's talk about Ray first, the older nephew. He was charged with the murders of Ashley, Catherine, right? <laughs> He's aging like, like hell, like worms. He was charged with the murders of Ashley, Catherine, and Stella, and went on trial in September of 2006. But he didn't last long because after just three days, he pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty, and was sentenced to three life sentences. Bye. So that tracks. 
That's what you get. Ray doesn't give I'm up for the fight to me. No, Ray, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, at one point, I think Ray always knew. He was going to fold. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was going to get done in. Mm -hmm. And Ray is still serving his sentence now at a state prison in Waverly, Virginia. Like, Ray, like, what was going through your head? Like, were you just along for the ride or were you also a catalyst with Ricky in y'all's disgust? Disgusting murders. From what it looks like, Ricky was the ringleader mm-hmm. and Ray was the follower. And even when they got arrested back when they did the armed robberies and he spent 10 years in jail, remember he said to the judge, like, hey, I need a sense of direction. I'm a follower. Mm-hmm. So at least he knows himself and is honest. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ray is, like I said, he's still serving his time and someone's actually trying to sell one of his prison badges that has a signature on it for $275. So (laughs) there's a market for everything. Mm, mm, mm. Ricky, on the other hand, wanted to gamble with his life and went on trial for the Tucker and Harvey murders in 2006. Yeah, Ricky's like, F it. Yeah, I'm not not going back to jail Mm -hmm. if I can help it. Look at him. The prosecution was able to include details about past crimes that Ricky may have committed. So, for instance, they brought up Treva Mm -hmm. and how Ricky confessed to killing her with a lead pipe. And then he said also that Ray helped him. So it was definitely Ricky's idea, I think, to snuff her out. But, you know, Ray was just the yes man in the back. And Ricky needed that yes man Mm -hmm. in order to give him the gall to do what he was going to do. I think it definitely helped. I think Ricky honestly would have been a murderer regardless yeah but i don't know if it would have went to this extent i don't know i don't know if he would have even been a murderer i don't know if he would have sought out murdering people but you think he would have happened upon it if he kept doing crimes I, uh, definitely i think if you keep breaking into people's houses and holding guns in their face and try to rob them you're liable yeah to eventually shoot someone and on ray's side i don't know if ray would have been a murderer at all mm-hmm. if it wasn't for ricky yeah it's uh, shit definitely a conversation Hmm. they also brought up the attack on ryan carey and ryan actually testified period ryan you brave soul yes he described the terrifying ordeal he went through and how he was not the same person he was before how could you be ryan how you don't even you can't even use your arm like these men were stabbing you to death i can't imagine what you went through Brian Harvey's older brother and Catherine Harvey's older brother both testified about their relationships with their siblings and how much the loss had affected their families. Mm. They were just sharing, you know, details that would really humanize the victims and emotionally move the jury. And it worked. Well, I don't know if that worked, but with everything encompassed, Ricky Gray was found guilty of the murders and was sentenced to death. Woo, Ricky, took your shot and missed. Give him the chair. Mm-hmm. So naturally, he wanted to appeal this decision, and he did. His lawyer's main argument was that during his trial, his defense team didn't go into detail about Ricky's childhood. Okay, mitigating factors. Right. I mean, he was brutally raped and abused. We right. can't hide that. And yes, Ricky's mom and sister briefly testified about it on the stand, but wasn't extensive enough. Mm-hmm. His attorney, Rob Lee, said talking about Ricky's trauma was, quote, very important because it drove Ricky Gray into drug abuse at a very early age. And that connection was never made. The powerful role drugs played in the crime and the link between the drugs and the sexual abuse, end quote. I mean, yeah. I mean, and he was on hard drugs. PCP, like, that's intense. That can shift Mm -hmm. your mental. And he started, what, 11, 12, 13 years old? So imagine what the fuck it did to his brain chemistry. Yeah, but at the same time, you did the crime. Right. <laughs> like, they knew well enough what they were doing yeah. wrong. Because if you don't think what you're doing is wrong, why hide? Why try to run? Especially Let's Ricky. Exactly. Dr. David Lysak, a psychologist that interviewed Ricky, said, quote, he suffers such severe symptoms decades after the vicious sexual and physical abuse that consumed his childhood because he never received any type of treatment for these traumas. In the absence of treatment, the traumatized brain can spend decades replaying specific terrifying experiences like an endless loop of tape, end quote, which is fair. Yes, totally. His attorneys suggested that society had failed Ricky and, quote, should not turn him away again and leave Gray to be executed for the long lasting and terrible consequences of the abuse that shaped his life. <sighs> OK, on one end. 
I understand. We were the mm-hmm. ones who were rooting for Ricky in the beginning. We were the ones who were like, wow, that's super traumatic right. to go through something like that. But mm-hmm. Ricky's grown now. Yeah. And yes, with the effects of what has gone on in his his childhood, mm-hmm. there are people today that do not make the same choices yeah. that Ricky has made. Exactly. You know, like they don't kill and slash four-year-olds and little babies' throats. Right. So, Ricky, you got sympathy for me, but you deserve this chair. I agree. I think he definitely deserves a chair. It sucks what he went through as a kid, but he's not a kid anymore. No. And he makes these active choices to, you know, break into people's homes, torture them until they're until they're dead. I mean, come on. And then it's like you didn't even show any signs of murder until Ray got back out. Yeah. Which means on your own, you probably, you know, didn't think you were uh, I don't know, strong enough to do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when Ray came around, you he put a battery in your back. You yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah. The psychologist even went as far as to say if Ricky was executed, it would send the wrong message that Ricky alone was responsible for his crimes. Quote, that will be a false message. It's a message that implicitly conveys that a child who is utterly unprotected by his family and community and by his larger society and its institutions who is horrifically abused, that such a child is solely responsible for the terrible outcome that lies at the heart of this case. Hmm. I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, if you want to hold someone else responsible for what Ricky did, lock up his daddy. Lock up Fitzgerald. Lock up the people that knew about what he was going through and enabled it. Mm -hmm. That's how you undo a wrong, or at least try to give Ricky some justice for what the fuck he went through. Mm -hmm. But now we're here trying to get justice for the Tuckers and the Harveys. That's what's important. There you go. Ricky doesn't get no more. Ricky doesn't have a chance to get his justice because he made sure of that when he decided that the lives of the Tuckers and the Harveys weren't fucking important. Mm. So yeah, fuck you, Ricky. Ricky also claimed that he was high as a kite during the murders, during the murders, but claims that because of this, he did not have full memory of the crimes and his thought processes. I just, I'm just so sick of the plight of blame it on the drugs. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, some drugs, I get it. But Ricky, you probably got high before you even did the crime because you knew you needed to be high to do the crime. So it's possible. So just take the sentence your your lawyer's really trying yeah he's he's giving it all he's got definitely doing his job yeah (laughs) um ricky's niece ended up speaking out on his behalf saying that he was the only father figure she had and that she needed him in her life she said she wanted him to meet um her child because she was pregnant at the time quote we are very close even though he is not here we are close because he really is the one who believes in me If he was executed, it would be like a heartbreak. I would lose all my motivation. I wouldn't even have a purpose anymore. Like, girl, you have a child. Right. That you're baking. (laughs) That's That's your purpose. purpose. What? That's the reason why you want him around. And also, like, your story and the Harvey. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. the Tucker. Right. Like, we're not really thinking about what this is going to do to you. Yes, it sucks. But at the same time, you need to look at Ricky for that. Right. And they say, you know, killers' families are victims, too, because they are, you know, they lose their loved one forever because of the mistake that they made. Yeah. But at the same time, hold them responsible. Mm -hmm. Don't always ask someone to bail that person out. Yeah, because they don't deserve it. And on his own behalf, Ricky spoke to the court and said the following. Remorse is not a deep enough word for how I feel. I know my words can't bring anything back, but I continuously feel horrible for the circumstances that I put them through. I robbed them of a lifelong supply of joy. I've stolen Christmas, birthdays, Easter's, Thanksgiving's, graduations, weddings, children. There's nothing I can do to make up for that. It's never left my mind because I understand exactly what I took from the world by looking at my two sisters. I'm reminded each time I see them that this is what I took from the world, the potential for greatness in those kids, end quote. So, well-spoken, well seems to be well-thought-out, ain't registering with me. I would have still voted to give his ass a chair. This is tough. Yeah. Either way, none of this changed his fate, though, and in 2016, his last appeal was denied. On Wednesday, January 18, 2017, 39-year-old Ricky Javon Gray was executed and pronounced dead at 9.42 p.m. Wow. When asked if he had any last words, his response was, nope. Wow. 
And that is our case this week. The fact that your last word was nope. Right. Like you expect us to believe anything that you that said. You just at this said hearing. in your appeals. And then also at the hearing, I didn't like how he said, I know my words can't bring anything back. You mean anyone? <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Because now you're really showing us that you completely don't see them as being human beings. Like, what's it really? You couldn't even have something to say to your your little baby girl that was just trying to plead for your life on your last notes and your last words. You had nothing to say to her. Who knows? Maybe maybe he did. But this was just a portion that was included in research that I was able to find. But I don't know. I mean, either way, you You know, took the risk of going to trial. Yeah, it did not pay off in your favor. No. And you should have thought about your little niece and your little sisters before you was doing what you were doing, Mm -hmm. before you took these innocent people's lives, Mm -hmm. minus Ashley. Mm -hmm. But still, it wasn't your place to take her life anyway. So crazy, 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 crazy. So what do you guys think about this episode? Do you think Ricky would have killed without Ray and Ray without Ricky? Right. What's it giving? Let us know. And you know how to do that. Hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, email us, everything. Let us know. Mm-hmm. And check out my baby registry when you get a chance. I'm going to include the link again in the episode description, but you can just visit our link tree on our social media and the link will be on there. Really appreciate it. Yay. And we're going to have a virtual baby shower for our listeners July 22nd. I'm going to send out all the information you need. So if you guys want to be a part of my first baby shower ever, then keep an eye out for that btc baby shower period (laughs) i knew that was coming thank you guys so much for listening and for being here and loving us and sharing with people that you love the show and before we go be safe protect your peace and protect your space so So we we don't don't have have to cover cover your your case case, friend friend. period Bye. bye Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.